This is Robert Sedania with the Process to Purpose podcast. Again, we're here to help inspire, motivate, and encourage others to find their purpose through the process of spirituality, health, and wealth using godly principles and values to break through to the life that God has called us to live. I'm super excited for this next episode that we have. We're going to be interviewing Dr. Sam Bakhtiar, CEO and founder of the Camp Transformation Center and CEO and founder of 1% Nutrition. And what I love about Sam is that he focuses on faith, family, fitness, finances, and fun, right? And you're able to take the principles that he's teaching us in this interview and really apply it to your life. Sam's been through many failures in his life and he's been able to push through. So I hope you learned something great from this episode. Share it with somebody. Here's the episode. Awesome. I'm ready ready for you. So you got all these things going on, but we, we want to know where you started from, where you're, where you're from. You know, real quick, man, can I just say something? Yeah. You know, I'm so proud of you. Thank you, Sam. You know, um, what you're doing for the community, your story that you just shared with me, you know, starting, you know, the year with $22, now you're on your way to make six figures, and not only about the money and all that kind of stuff, everything that you're doing, you know, for the community, for the church, and the man that you have become. You know what I mean? You know, and uh, we we talked before we even got on the cameras and stuff like that. You know, um, you shared with me a little bit of your story. We have a lot in common. And I can't tell you how proud I am, you know, to be here and so how honored I am for you to be here to interview me. So before I saw that, I want to thank you. Thank you. Thank you for allowing us to come in your beautiful home and just sharing those really kind words. Like, I'm trying not to cry right now, man. It got me chills and you got me going, man. Of course, man. Let's do it. Well, let's over deliver for that. Let's do it. (laughs) I'm here to over deliver for you guys. Let's let's get to it and let's have some fun. Yeah. So he's going to drop some knowledge, man. We're driving up and we're like, I... We can't believe where we're at right now. This is amazing. So, thank you. Yeah, thank, thank you, you for having us. Of so, course. Yeah, you want to go ahead and go into straight into your story from the beginning. Oh man, you know uh, where do I start? Well, I'm a Persian American. You know, I was born in Iran, and I remember uh, when I turned three, two tragic things happened. Okay. One, you know, my dad and my mom got divorced. My dad left. I never saw my dad after that. To this day, you know, I haven't saw him. He he died many years ago. Um, so I didn't see that. Not only that happened, my country went to war with Iraq. Mm. And the guy you guys very well know, Saddam Hussein, yeah. he was bombing on us for eight years. Since I was three to 11, you know, every night, you know, the lights would go out and there were sirens on the street and you look up on the sky and you saw planes coming by, dropping bombs. And you saw anti, you know, anti-air missiles. Going, it looked like fireworks, but it wasn't fireworks. It wasn't Disneyland. It, it was wasn't Fourth of July. It wasn't war. You know, wow. it was the Fourth of July. It was war. You wow. know, and, and at any moment in those years, you know, we were waiting. Will a bomb drop on us tonight or not? So um, that's where when I was being, you know, I was beginning. You know, that's where that's that's the very very beginning. Awesome, awesome. And then from there, you ended up in you said uh, Pennsylvania. Yes. Yeah, so you know, um, at 11 years old, they were recruiting me and all the men to go to war. Okay. You know, at 11 years old, they would give you machine guns and go to war and, hey, wow. you know, you know, and that's, that's how bad it was. And, you know, the Muslims call it a jihad, you know, so if you, you know, if you go to war and you die, you know, you basically are guaranteed to go head to heaven and, mm. you know, and all that kind of stuff. And my mom was like, well, I don't want my only son to die. So what we did was we, you know, first went to France as a refugee for war. Okay. And we stayed in France for a year. And then we came to America as a refugees of war. Okay. And me and my mom um, and five hundred dollars and a single luggage. You know, and when I was coming to America, you know, I was watching American shows, 
you know, you guys are way too young to know, but there's American shows called Dallas and Dynasty and, you know, the A-Team. Look it up, man. Those was like the, okay. the oh, those, those were the sitcoms back then. We, we had the A-Team not too long ago. With, yeah, uh, but, but the, the old A-Team. Mr. You, T. Yeah, yeah, Mr. T. Mr. Okay, you okay. yeah. You know, and, and, um, and, you know, I was looking at him, I mean, I thought, oh my God, America is like, you know, heaven. You know, everybody has Cadillacs and mansions and swimming pools and, you know, I thought everybody was a multi-millionaire. Yeah. That they, you know, on those TV shows, they never show the ghetto and, and the bad parts, right? Mm -hmm. So when I came to America, um, you know, we moved to a little town called Sharon, Pennsylvania. Sharon. Sharon. You know, so it's, it's, um, it's a 45 minutes, like north of Pittsburgh, right on the order, border of Youngstown, Ohio. Okay. You know, and um, it's an old steel mill town where all the steel mills went out of business. Mm. And it was abandoned buildings, brick roads, very depressed in the middle of crack cocaine epidemic. Wow. You know, and... What year was this? 1985. 1985, wow. You know, and my uncle does what pretty much all Middle Easterns do when they come to America. He had a convenience store in the hood. <laughs> right in the hood. Man. Right in the hood, man. Awesome. Right in the hood, in the middle of the hood. And first thing I did is, you know, we moved to America and I went right to that convenience store and started helping my uncle. And we moved in with my uncle. Okay, so that was like your first level of like entrepreneurship. Well, yeah, him. well, yeah, watching my uncle having a store, and you know, I was in charge of um, candy and cigarettes. Candy and cigarettes. Yeah, there was a, there was a section that was candy on the bottom, cigarettes at the top. And you were slanging them. I was slanging them. <laughs> you're you're moving. Yeah, I, I tell you, I tell you what, you know, one, you know, one thing I learned about America is that I didn't know what food stamps were. So when people were paying me with food stamps, I was giving them regular money back. Oh man, you how know? did that go with your uncle? Oh my God, he didn't know. He just he just he just looked. After a few weeks, he looked at it. And goes, why is his section always so busy? You know, because oh, people in the hood yeah. found out that I didn't know what I was doing. I was giving money back for food stamps. Yeah, little Sam is over here handing out cigarettes for food stamps. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. yeah, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Okay, so when did you come over here to to? Well, you know, before we get there, you still yeah. have some story to, to share in Pennsylvania. Oh, a lot, a lot. You know, yeah. so so when I went, you know, when I got there, I went to seventh grade. And look, Sharon, Pennsylvania, to this day, is not that diverse. Now there's a few Hispanics and a few Asians there, not too many, you know. But in 1985, you know, middle of nowhere, USA, I was the only minority that town that high school has ever seen. Really? So I literally walked in the first day of high school, you know, you know, junior high. They were together, and it was like, you know, Moses part of the Red Sea. There was black people on this side, <laughs> white people on this side, and they were like. What is that? What are you? You know what? No, what is you? That's what they said. <laughs> what, what is you? You know what I mean? That's and awesome. uh, and uh, and you know my clothes were different. My haircut was different. I didn't speak the language. Hmm. And I went to the guidance counselor and I said, you know what? You know I want to, um, you know I want to enroll in seventh grade and I want to play football. 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 And the guy was like, yeah, yeah, football. You know, like this. And I'm and I sh he, sh he showed me this crazy looking ball. You know, I'm like, oh, that's not football i think that's called rugby yeah i go this is the foot and this is the ball i'm like what are you guys talking about soccer right? they're like oh that's what's called soccer oh here and we don't have soccer and so i'm in a new country i don't have any friends i don't speak the language i don't have the same you know same associations or anything like that and now i don't have a sport mm. so they're like yeah we have baseball football and we have basketball baseball to this day I don't even know how to what, what it's all about. I just know you hit the ball, you have to run through the bases. That's all I know about baseball. I don't know how. Many so you didn't games. watch the World Series. I watch it. I don't know what the objective is because my wife knows. My wife likes the Dodgers. Got it. You know, she's a diehard LA Dodgers fan. You know, you know they gonna watch it, but I don't have no idea. I'm not. I really don't have an interest. I think it's boring. 
Sorry. Yeah, no, and I have the same feeling. I'll watch the World Series, but when it comes to actually sitting and watching on TV, sorry guys, but I'm more of a basketball football guy. Yeah, I mean, look, I like sports, and when it gets like to the, you know, to the finals and stuff like that, sometimes I sit down and watch one, but I'd rather play the game of life than sit down and watch mm. the game all day long. I'm not that, you know, I'm, you know, you know, you know, if I'm not, I'm not, I can't sit Saturday and Sunday all day watching TV. You know what I mean? I'd rather be out there playing and doing stuff. Yeah, I've never moving. been. Yeah, I've never moves. been. That. Yeah, I'm making moves. You know what I mean? I mean, you know, I, I, I could care less what people do or what people do. I, I you know, they don't, they're not going to pay my bills. Okay. You know what I mean? So you decided to, from there, you decided to play basketball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, you can laugh now. I'm five five on a good day. You know, <laughs> and my and my claim to fame, you know, my idol at that time was a guy named Spud Webb. Remember Spud yeah, Webb? Yeah, yeah. He was like five seven. He was like dunking the ball. So yeah. Like, if Spud Webb can be good at basketball, uh-huh. so I can be. You know what I mean? You got the cash for you know, it. You know? Yeah. I, yeah. I got the cash, but I learned one thing, man. You know, you know, white man can't jump. Persian man really can't jump. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I tried out for the basketball team and um, I got cut. And that was the most devastating. That was the most devastating um, blow to my ego ever at that time because I used to be a you know star soccer player. Yeah. And I come here and in this country I'm nobody. Got you it. know. And I remember going to you know walking home crying, and my mom said, you know what, you know go to, you know go to the boys club, practice basketball, and after I get off work, I come pick you up mm. and then you know. You know, so you can you know try out next year, and that's what I did. That was the game plan. Well, that's awesome that you're actually at that age. Your mom's already instilling these, these this character in you that say, "Hey, you you got cut, you failed, but you have to work hard." Yeah, my mom is no joke. My mom is 90 pounds, but <laughs> she awesome. you know she, I don't feel no man or you know but God and her. Yeah, you know what I mean. And she's I mean she's to this day I don't ever think that my mom, you know I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing. I don't think my mom's ever said good job. Mm. You know what I mean? You know, she always, I, I, I can always do better. I always do better. You know, hey, you did this. That's good. But you can do this. Yeah. You know, my mom. <laughs> that's a blessing, yes, man. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. So you failed, right? So what, what I'm hearing right now, you, you failed a couple of times at a young age. You said your biggest failure was at three years old, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I failed. You know, I have failed. I've been, my, my face has been a mud many, many, many years, many, many, many times during a, during a young age. Okay. So what did you do after you failed in basketball? So, you know, like I said, I try to get better. You know, mm-hmm. I just try to, I got up, try to get better. You know, I'm like, oh, I just got to put in work. I knew for me to be able to make the basketball team, I need to go practice two, three hours a day mm-hmm. and try and make sure. And, I, and that was the game plan. I started practicing, practicing after school, you know. But when I went to this boys club, you know, I walked in and I saw these guys coming from this room upstairs. And, you know, the guys were walking around like this, you know, like all big. Come like on. This, you know. Like you walk around now. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, man, you know, those were back then when the, you know, the Commando movies and the Sylvester Sloan movies yeah. and the Arnold movies were out. I'm like, I want to look like them, man. I want to see what's going on. So I went to this room and I got so intimidated. A bunch of big blue collar steel workers just banging weights, cussing at each other, slapping each other, spitting tobacco. Oh, gosh. You know what I mean? And and, and, and I bring their own boom box, oh, man. you know, kind of thing. And, uh, you know, I started, you know, lifting after they left every single day because I didn't want to lift in front of them. I was too squatty, too skinny. I was so self-conscious, you know, yeah. you know too self-conscious. But scared. I, I, scared. <laughs> yes, scared, right? And then um, I started working out and started falling in love with, you know, how it made me feel, how much stronger I got. I started what I call developing these baby muscles. Mm. You know, baby muscles are the muscles that you can only tell on yourself. Oh yeah, you I get that. I still have those. <laughs> <laughs> I have those all the time, man. I'm, I tell my wife, hey, yeah. you see that? No. All right, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
and that's what and that's how I fell in love with the whole transformation game, you know, because I saw not only what it did for my physical, but it also helped me with my self-esteem, you know, self-worth and how I carried myself. So that 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 transition helped you get to cuz I know I've read that you you won all these bodybuilding competitions in each weight class. Yeah, so I started bodybuilding and at the time, like I said, I had the worst genetics. You know, I had small, skinny arms. One thing that I always had was my calves and my legs, like thanks for my mom. Mm. I had small, skinny arms and back, and I had a big old belly, like mm. a little fat belly. You know, so I started working out, and everybody was like, you, you know, you're not going to be anything, and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, and I kept working out, kept being persistent. And, yeah, I ended up, you know, started competing. And by the time I was finished, I was the first bodybuilder in history to have a first-place title in every weight class. Wow. Yeah, that that's... Just commitment and just perseverance—that's yeah. that's amazing. How so? How did you accomplish that? You know, it's weird. You know, I um, you know when I first bodybuilding, I was bodybuilding. I was scrawny, skinny, so my weight class was bantam weight. So okay. I was 143 pounds. You know, then I gained a little bit of size, and I went one to one fifty four. And then I took a couple of years off to put on more size, and I was at one seventy six. And then one time, I was going to go as a middleweight, but I missed it. So I was like, you know, I missed the weight and I didn't make the weight. So I came in like 178 or something like that. So they automatically put me at light heavyweight, but I ended up winning. And then at that point, I'm like, well, I can really win light heavyweight. So I stayed around 180, 185, and I competed. That was my regular weight. So I had all these first place trophies and all those weight classes. And I told myself, you know what? You never competed as a heavyweight. You know, and I walked around around 200 all the time. Really? You know, and I'm like, you know what? Why don't you just compete, at, you know, as a heavyweight one time? And just to say you did it, you know, I was just like, you know, you probably won't even place, but let's just say you did it, you know. So I was like, all right, you know, so I literally for two weeks, I ate nothing but cookies and tea because I couldn't even get the cookies in anymore. I would just dip it into tea to make it just for the calories. Yeah, just so the guys would be able to get the calories in and get the fullness in. So I literally, the cutoff was 198 and a quarter. So I went in 199. Oh, man. And uh, I made the heavyweight. And to you my won. surprise, not only I won the class, but I won overall. Oh my goodness. Yeah. By eating yeah. cookies and tea. Yeah. So I'm starting my new diet tomorrow, <laughs> which is, uh, what kind of cookies were those? Oreo, Oreo cookies? No, man. Chewy, chewy Chip Ahoy. That's, oh that's, my that's my gosh, stuff. Right that's there. my favorite, man. So you win in every weight class. What do you do after the bodybuilding? So you start transitioning into business. How, how did that, that transition so happen? I start, so I started my business. While I was bodybuilding, right? So, mm-hmm. so I, you know, my you know my business started, you know, while I was bodybuilding, you know, and um, when, you know, I met my wife, you okay. know, you know, and um, I said, you know what, it's time to settle down, get married, and start a family. I was thirty-two, you know, and I was like, all right, it's okay. time, you know, it, it, it was time, it was time. So, I put bodybuilding on hold. You know, because bodybuilding can be a very selfish sport. You know, all you do is lift and eat and tan and pose and sleep. and That sounds pretty good to me. <laughs> <laughs> it's good until you have a serious boy, you know, you're a serious girlfriend and, yeah. and wife and, you know, and all that kind of stuff, right? So uh, I put that on hold and um, I started a family. And that's when I knew that, all right, now you're going to start a family. Now I need to get serious about business. Yeah. To that point, you know, the business was just to be able to, you know, be able to survive and eat and bodybuild and to me that was it but buy some like, more protein yeah buy some protein awesome. yeah true true 
Awesome, awesome. Yeah, so, so that's so, what I got, serious. Okay, awesome. So throughout that time, um, you know, I really want to go back. Something that really got to me when you shared your story mm-hmm. uh, at Remax Top Producers was um, going back and at three years old, mm-hmm. you had your first favorite, right? How, how did that set you up for the rest of your life? Where, you know, you could have used the excuse, say, hey, you know what, I failed, I didn't, I didn't, you know, I don't have a dad. How, how can someone use that as an excuse and how did you push through it to, to, to bounce back? You know, um, I don't know, I don't even know if I can say this in this podcast or anything like that. You know, you can't look at pat, your past and let your past define you. You know, if somebody's doing that, that's just an excuse, cop out, cop out way for you to say you're lazy, you don't want to pursue your dreams. Yeah. You know, and when somebody does that, it kind of like makes me mad. You know, because so many people have overcome such a humongous things, and you can't let what happened in the past define who you are in the future. Amen. You know, and as long as you have to work at things, as long as you have the will, as long as you're willing to do whatever it t- takes, which becomes, you know, as long as you're willing to do whatever it takes, which most people do, that's why I call them the one percenters. Something so great that is affecting so many lives, where I have people who, who I, I share this and they're like, I'm sharing it with everyone on the camp page mm-hmm. because it genuinely changes their lives. So how did that come about? Well, man, it's a funny thing is camp also came out of a failure. Mm. You know, um, it, you know everything, and for those of you who are watching this and listening to this, you know, um, understand that everything happens to you for a reason. Mm-hmm. You know, and you know, you can sit down and, and play victim and say, why me, why me, why me? Or in adversity, you can find an opportunity. Okay. In every adversity, there's a huge opportunity. So if you can, just open your eyes and just look through it and find an opportunity, you're going to miss out. Instead of putting your head down and, and my God, my God, why is this happening to me? How happened to me? Find an opportunity. And I always, you know, you know, I'm a big, you know, boxing fan. Really? You know, I'm a big boxing fan. And whenever you see someone against the ropes and the other guy is just wailing on him, you know, if the guy just looks through and pays attention to an opportunity for the guys to be just open and be able to counterpunch, he can knock the guy out. Yeah. You know, yeah. So when you see these kind of things, you know, if the guy's against the rope and he's not punching back and he's just like covering his eyes and he's going to get knocked out because he's already given up. That's it. He's right? done. But if the guy is covering up, he sees somebody's welling on him, but in the meantime, he's still looking for an opportunity to come <sighs> back and counter. That's good. I've seen people, you know, middle of getting, you know, wailed on, knock the other guy out. Yeah. So life is the exact same way. So you know, a lot of times when you are, you know, everything, you know, is raining, you know, you're so busy looking at the rain, you don't see the opportunity, you don't see the thing. Just know that everything that's passed in the past, you're alive now. Nothing's killed you so far. Yeah. All the things that you have done in your life, all the times that you thought this was the end of the world, wasn't. And, and this time it won't, will not be either. So open your eyes, look at it and say, hey, what am I going to take away from this lesson? What is going on? What is the lesson in this adversity for me? So at the time, you know, when I started my, my personal training business, you know, I was crushing it, you know, from, you know, um, I was crushing it as soon as I started, you know, from 2000 to 2007, 2008, I was okay. crushing it. Even, you know, my peak, you know, I was doing $2.4 million out of a 3,000 square foot facility. Wow. $2.4 million, not take home, but gross revenue. Yeah. You know? So, you know, I was doing very well, 
you know, I, you know, and when you do really well, you get cocky, you get arrogant, and you know, I thought I was the man, I thought I was like, anything I can touch, I'd be into a gold and all that. I didn't know, hey, it was the economy, it was the it was the industry. I thought it was just me, you know, I was mm. just I was just a man. So I started making money, you know. And that's with personal training. Yeah, so with personal training, okay. you know, I was going out there acting acting like I was P Diddy, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know, and uh, I, yeah, I was, I was, yeah, I was in the club acting stupid. It's a true okay. story, you know. Um, but when all of a sudden the recession hit, you know, my business didn't slow down. It's like somebody actually put that emergency brake on. So I went from doing two point four million dollars in two thousand seven to four hundred and fifty thousand dollars in two thousand nine. Two million dollars. Two lost two million dollars in revenue in a matter of two years. Wow. You know, and literally my house was up for foreclosure. You know, I, I was, I was, you know, I was, I was dying, and it was the worst time in my life because my wife was pregnant, and mm -hmm. I thought I had money. That's why we started a family, and then it's you know I almost lost it all. Wow. So, when that time, when that time came for for a period of, you know, from 2008 to 2010, I was struggling, struggling, like I was struggling, like my house was up for foreclosure, like I was saying, and and um, we decided what what am I gonna do because most of my clients couldn't afford. $6,800 a month for personal training that normally normally cost at the time. And so I'm like, what should I do? So I, I was like, all right, maybe I need to do what I call small group training. Okay. You know, maybe four or five people per one trainer, pay a little bit less, but have one trainer sharing it. And that worked for a little bit. And then I was approached with, you know, a friend of mine who I, I, I trained and, his, and her husband that I trained, Ali and Louis Font. Okay. You know, and, you know, Ali approached me, hey, why don't we, you know, partner up and open up a boot camp? And at the time, I'm like, boot camp, I'm like, what is that? Some jumping jacks people do and <laughs> stuff running around the park. That's not stuff that's not going to work. Yeah. So I was close-minded. I remember at that you time. you knew. I always knew, hey, you have to lift heavy weights and you have to mm. do this and you have to do that for you to get better, better results. And we need one-on-one -on -one attention. So I was kind of close-minded, but Ali kept approaching me and it was very persistent. So I tried to get rid of her, actually. I was like, you know what, Ali, I'll give you, you know, if, awesome. if, you're, if, if you're interested, I want you to do all this stuff and come back to me. She got it done. I'm like, oh my God. Hey, I need you to do more stuff. Come back to me. She got it done. So I'm like, all right, man. I, I put, you know, I'm, I'm like, I have to commit. I told her I would do it. Yeah. So, you know, at the time, all I had in the bank account was $11,000. Wow. You know, and Ali didn't have anything. You know, so, you know, I put $11,000. Worst case scenario, that's all I have is $11,000. You know, last shot. But I said, Ali, you have to teach all that stuff because I'm not jumping, doing no jumping jacks. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm not, you know, running around doing no jumping jacks, you know? You know I, like, I like lift heavy weights, cardio, I'm not a you know, fan, right? Stairmaster. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> so Ali, you know, started doing all the, all the classes and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, and I was just kind of like a silent partner and she was running in and all that kind of stuff. Next thing you know, I see the revenue for the camp approaching fitness concepts, the one-on-one -on -one training. Next thing you know, I see the, the revenue for the camp surpass, you know, fitness concepts and, yeah, and, well. and all that. Well, maybe I need to pay this a little closer attention. Mm. And I mean, we were so shoestring budget. We had concrete floors. I mean, I remember clients complaining about their back hurt. I'm like, you all right, you all right. He's not, you know what I mean? People were doing jumping jacks and stuff on a concrete floor. What mats? You know what I mean? There was no mat, there, oh, there, there was man. nothing, you know what I mean? And um, so when, when, when I started paying more attention, I'm like, well, we're onto something because people actually got better results. People stayed longer and had more fun than one-on-one -on -one training. Because one-on-one -one training, you know, at the end of the day, it became a therapy session. Therapy yeah. session, what I mean by that is, you know, the trainer gets to know you, you get to know the trainer. Friends. And after a while, all they do is, oh, how's your husband? Or, how's your wife? And how did this happen? And how you doing? What are you doing this weekend? Yeah, so but cool. group training, we didn't, have, we didn't have all that. Yeah, because then nothing gets done when you're yeah. doing the, the personal training. Correct. 
Yeah, you so, lose the first five pounds and then. So, so the boot camp, you know, basically, you know, was born out of recession, out of desperation. Wow, that's crazy. But I, I, I mean, I'm sure you were prepared, right? So you're preparing yourself for your whole life. So were you still during that time when you hit the recession, were you still hitting the books? Were you still hitting seminars or was, was that not even in the picture? You know, um, for a period, look, you can hit the books and you can hit the seminars when you're in a good state of mind, mm. which means that, you know, you don't have to worry about where your next meal is coming from and, you know, what's going on and things like that, right? That's when, you know, you hit the books and you hit the seminars and, you know, things like that. But when you're in a fight or flight mm. mode, you're afraid to even take, you know, one minute off. That's good. You know, from work or anything like that. You know, so you want to make sure that, you know, you're out there working, hustling, and trying to get every penny, you right. know, um, all that. So for a period, man, I was just like, I was just trying to survive. So you just had a strong why. Yes, that's all it was, man. I was a strong why. Was my wife was pregnant, you know, and I don't want to be a loser like the dad that I had. Yeah. Not be able to provide for, you know, for me. And so for me, my, my biggest thing to this day, even though that, you know, I'm somewhat successful is I want to be able to provide, I want to be able to provide my, for my kids. That's my biggest fear to become, yeah. to, to be a dad that's not, that wasn't able to take care of the family. And to, so, like, that's my biggest fear. That's my biggest why. So let's, let's, let's go into that. Yeah. What, what is your biggest why? My biggest why is my children. I mean, I mean, bottom line, bottom line, he just, God, I'm going to go, I'm going to start crying, but, um, bottom line is I don't want to be like my dad. Yeah. You know, uh, my dad, like I said, left, left, that's when I was three years old, um, never provided anything for us. Mm. You know, I remember going to, you know, um, Christmas time for other kids and stuff like that. And I would see the kids having bikes and presents and things like that. Nice homes. And I would go there and my mom and I couldn't afford nothing like that. So first I started ultrasound. I put out my sport bikes for sale. I had a Harley and I had an R1. I'm like, right, I'm gonna sell this. I got life insurance. Yeah, you know, right. I started growing up like like that. Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah. And I started a 529 account, a college account wow. for for the kids. You know, ever since they were like a little, as soon as they were born, I've been putting money into it so they can have a future. And that's like an account that I don't even have a password for. Got it. You know what I mean? So the money goes in there every month. I don't even, I can't touch it. It's theirs. And Perfect. It's, it's that, so. And I, and I love to see the emotion that, you know, even though you have all these amazing things going on, you still have that emotion and be like, man, like, I don't want to be that dad that, that I had. And, that, and that, that really gets to me because I remember when I was younger, I was, I think, 18 or 19 years old. I got arrested, right? So I got arrested, charged with the felony. Like, oh, it's just something really stupid that yeah. is just wrong place at the wrong time, all this good stuff, right? Yeah. And I remember coming out, my mom bailed me out. We didn't have much money and she bailed me out. I think it was like $2,000 bail. And I remember hugging her and crying. And all I could remember saying is, I never wanted to be like my dad, which my dad was in and out of jail. And, you know, he's doing drugs. Now we have, you know, a decent relationship. We had a chance to mend that. But I just love to see the emotion that you have and why... You're so successful because of your daughters. Well, I mean, um, you know, if you, you know, um, you know, if you follow Tim Grover, you know, who wrote the book Relentless and he worked with some of the top people, you know, top, top athletes in the world. Yeah. He talks to it about, you know, every, every big player operates on the dark side. Mm. You know, everybody wants to talk about all oh, the good, you know, the good, you know. You know this, this, and that, but you have to have something that's really hurt you to be able to catapult you to the next level. Yeah. Use that hurt as fuel. A lot of people use that hurt to slow them down. Yeah. But I use it as as fuel. 
You know yeah. what I mean? And and for me, you know, every single day, you know, that's a big part of my why to be able to go out there and provide the best life for my family. And you know, and it's so funny, man. It's it, it's you know, I'm I'm gonna share a couple of stories with you with the girls. You yeah. know, um, yeah, I think I think it's really funny. You know, we were at um, we were at Disneyland one time. You know, and me and my girls. You know, and and there, this little kid came in. It was my daughter's age, like eight years old at the time. You know, he was like flashing some money, like he had some money and stuff like that. And and my daughter looked at him and was like, oh, you got little money. My dad got lots of money, <laughs> you know? And even though I was embarrassed, I was embarrassed like in front of the, in front of the parents. Oh, I was like, awesome. I, I kind of turned around back in, my, in myself, like, you better tell her, girl, you better tell her. Uh-huh, he can't, he can't impress you, he uh-huh, can't impress you. Come on. You know, and then, awesome. and then the other day, my daughter was like, daddy? I'm like, what? He goes, you're really strong. And you got like a zillion dollars. He goes, like a lot of girls will like you, huh? Oh my you know? god! And I was like, I was like, tell that to Miss Crystal. Tell that to Miss Crystal, so she knows. Oh my gosh! Did she tell her? Yes. No, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Miss Crystal's gonna get jealous, man. So you know, it's funny, man, because you know, you just you know, you just want, you know, you just want like the best. You know, you want the best for her. But you know, in the meantime, I'm very conscious of making sure that. They understand the value. They understand hard work. They, you know, they understand that there's a cause and effect for every decision they make. Yeah. You know, because last thing I want is raise Paris Hilton's or the Kardashians, yeah, like that. Yeah, I want them to understand that you know, you know, there is a value for everything, yeah. and just because I have it, that doesn't mean they're going to get it. Yeah, integrity, character, Absolutely correct. all those, all those uh, foundational values. Correct. Yeah, that's that's amazing, man. So yeah. I see that you're so passionate about, uh, you know, your family. Your, your daughters, your wife, um, but I know you focus on, you have a, a couple of pillars in your life, right, mm-hmm. that, that, that I read on, and I know it's, uh, you focus on faith. Yeah, you know, obviously, look, you know, the 5F, right? Yeah, the 5S, I was going there, but go ahead. You know, I call it a 5F, to me, you know, if you have control of these five things in your life, then to me, you are a one percenter, you're successful, you know what I mean? And look, you know, nobody can be balanced. There's no such a thing as a balance in life. You know, yeah. and, you know, you know, you know, let me, let me tell you what I mean. Balance is earned. Okay. Right. Like, you know, you know, a lot of people talk, you know, want to be balanced. Like, let, let, let's just say, you know, let's talk about weight loss, for example. Okay. Let's, let's say somebody who has been unbalanced for years, for 10 years, all they've been doing is sitting on the couch, eating bonbons, pizza, and McRibs, you know. I've and, been there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me too, but not for 10 years, you know, you know, so for 10 years, they neglected their health. They'll be eating junk. And now, you know, now all of a sudden they want to start an exercise program and everybody says, well, don't overdo it. Oh my God. So don't lose more than one pound a week. Don't do this. No, 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 no. If you've been unbalanced for so long, then you need to be unbalanced this way for a long time mm. so you can meet in the middle. That's good. Right. If you've been over here, you can't just come back over here. You got to go here. Yeah. You know what I mean? To be able to sooner or later. So balance is something that you earn, not just all of a sudden, all, you know, you've been bad for so long and all of a sudden, you know, you know, be able to do that. So, you know, when we talk about the fives, that's number one is obviously is faith. Yes. Number one is faith. To me, I don't care if you're Muslim, you're Christian, you're Jewish, you know, I don't, I don't care what you are, but you have to believe in faith and you have to believe in something greater than you, yeah. you know, in this life, you know, so, um, so faith is always above everything to me and you have to have faith in your life and, and that, that something is greater for you than you're here for a reason. Yeah. You know, two, um, you know, after faith is obviously family. Mm-hmm. You know, family is everything. You know, um, you know, to me, if you don't have family, you, you know, that's above everything. You know, for yeah. me, that's my driving force. That's my why. 
you know. Um, That's wakes you up at and, three and in the and, morning. Yeah, and, and it's not what you, and it's not what you um, give them. It's what you put into them. Mm, that's really good. You know what I mean? You know, so it's not what you give. You know, it's not how much I give them. It's what I put into them for later on in life. You know, then after that is fitness. Okay. Because without fitness, you know, you know, there's, you know, if you don't have your health. Yeah. Then what is wealth? You know, do, you know. Let me ask you a question. I'd rather be broke, I have my health, yeah. than be a billionaire and be terminally ill or or, or be in bad health. Yeah, because most people would actually flip that, right? Yes, exactly. Most people say, you know, people ask me, why not finances first? Yeah. You know, and I say, well, and I ask them the same exact question I just asked you. Mm-hmm. You know, would you rather be a billionaire that be terminally ill, or would you rather be broke, and but but uh, have all the health and the you know yeah. environments that you have? So. Yeah, because you can create that opportunity. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So then we have finance. You know, finances, obviously, you know, you want to be able to provide for your family and all mm-hmm. that. Things. And let me touch on finances a little bit. For me, finances has always been about providing the basic necessities for your life. Okay. You know, look, if you have a home, if you have a car, if you have a home that's paid for, if you have a car that's paid for, it, you can literally work at McDonald's and live a pretty decent, stress-free life. Yeah. You know, so anything after that is kind of like a luxury, right? Got it. You know what I mean? So, you know, most most people are, are just want to get to basic necessities. Mm. But once you get to basic necessities, you know, every, everything after that is is charity. Yeah, definitely. Does that make sense? Yeah, and then with, with, with the finances that you get, you can give more. Absolutely. Give back, give back up your time like you're doing now. And and a lot of people see money as a bad thing, right? It's a stigma. We were. Well, I mean, I was raised that way. You know, yeah. you know, you, you you know, you always say, okay, what did he do? How many people did he rep off? You know, what did he <laughs> have to do to be able to you know get these kind of money and yeah. be able to get there? But if you study wealth, it's very simple. The wealthiest people in the world end up also are people who helped and made the biggest difference in the world. Yeah. What they do, what they have done is just figure out a problem and provide a solution to that problem for people. So, you know, that's how wealth is created. The more people that you help, the more that you will make. So when did that mindset change for you? When do you feel like that, 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 that change? Say, hey, now I know what finances are for. The mindset, obviously, you know, you always read in personal development books. Yes. You know, hey, you know, the more people you, you, know, you help, the more money you make. You know, you want to you earn more, become more. But that, all that is bullshit. Okay. Until you actually get there and they're able to experience it. Mm. Because if you are dead broke and your kids don't have food, you're about to get evicted out of your apartment, all that stuff will never sink. Because you don't know. You're too busy trying to survive. Mm -hmm. And I've been there. And I've been there. I've been in situations where I literally had made deals with the devil to try to put food on the table. What I mean mm-hmm. by deals with the devil is like a client came in and I knew this would be a bad client. Mm-hmm. Like, oh my God, this girl, this person, this man is going to be nothing but trouble as a client, but I can't refuse that. Even though that I know it's going to be a bad deal, I got to take the money because I got to pay rent. I got to put food on the table. I've made those deals, but nothing is more liberating Mm. Where the person comes in and, and wants to hand you the money, and I'm like, I don't want, nah, I don't want your money. I'm good. I'm good. You know, wow. let me refer you to a person down the street. That might be a better thing for you or a better thing. That's when you know, you know, you you created wealth and create peace of mind because you don't need to, you know, get every money. And until you get there, 
you know, you don't really understand what the personal development books are saying. Yeah. So I was like, you read it, I'm like, man, dude, I can't, my kids are hungry. Yeah, like, we got, I got to move. I got to eat. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm taking it. Yeah, I'm taking it, right. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's where I was when I first started off with $22 in my pocket at the beginning of the year. Yeah. I was like, anyone coming my way, yeah. let's go see a home. You're, you're not pre-approved. Cool. Let's go see it anyways, you know? And But we, that's what you have to do at the beginning. Yeah, so. yeah. Awesome, awesome. So I want to get into the book that you wrote. Okay. So we wrote, I mean, you wrote uh, 99 Keys to Mastering Your Life and Rising to the Top, Becoming the One Percenter. And I read the whole thing in, in just a couple of days. Literally, it was just, I was like, man, this is amazing. I can't get enough of it. And I actually took a couple of uh, notes right here. Uh, my favorite, my three favorite, actually, cheat, I got four favorite. Um, so I got key 14, forget what you were born with. And again, that's kind of like going back to what yeah. you were saying with your dad, right? Or, yeah. you know, your, your, your past. Yeah. Um, key, and then I also like key 36, make it about more than you something we just spoke about right now yeah. with your finances you can bless more people absolutely you know absolutely like you know today I met with um, you know a gentleman who um, owns a boxing gym okay and matter of fact one of the one of the people from you know Remax referred me to him because he said this guy is like sleeping in the gym you know he's a great operator but he doesn't know anything about business mm. you know would you meet with them and I said sure I'll meet with them you know, you know, so I met with him for about an hour, hour and a half today, you know, at lunch and, you know, kind of told him what, what I would do and it was in his shoes and, you know, kind of give him some pointers and I think I can help him a lot, you know, so that's, you know, you know, when back in the day when I was dead broke, I would have never met with him because I would have to make calls, I had to make ends, I had to, you know, make money, I had to wait to somebody to come in, I would never done that. But now that I'm able to say, hey man, you know, I'm good, I can take a little bit, I can now give back. I was able to take an hour and a half of my time to go be with me with this gentleman, and hopefully, I can make a difference in his life. Wow! And I know this is a really hard question, and if you can maybe think of one or two, um, but if I know you have ninety nine keys and they're all super amazing, but if you could choose one or two, somebody that's in that position right now that they're just starting off mm-hmm. and they have nothing going for them, and they starting off with twenty two dollars in their pocket mm-hmm. and they're trying to get you know a podcast going, a social media presence going, what one or two keys? Would you share with them maybe three that would totally change their lives? First of all, just do it. Just do it. Just do it. Like you know, I mean, look. I was, I, you know, I had, you know, <laughs> here's how I meet with people these days. A lot of people, you know, a lot of people always hit me up. Hey, Sam, can I take an hour of your time? This, this, and this, and that. And I usually what I try to do is, hey, look, I work out at four a.m. Why don't you come work out with me and we'll talk? So I'd be there. <laughs> yeah, come on now. <laughs> you know, so so four o'clock in the morning usually, you know. You know, you know, pretty much at least once or twice a week, you know, somebody, somebody new is working out with me because they want to talk to me about, you know, you know, pick my brain about something and ask me some questions. So there was this younger kid, you know, that came up to me and, you know, he wanted to, you know, do, you know, start this business and all that. And he was waiting for the right time and studied the right thing and, you know, that kind of stuff. Kind of like we just, you know, I just here on the fly, yeah. you know, you know, you do it and you figure it out. There's a book called Ready, Shoot, Aim. Mm. You know what I mean? You know, in life, you just have to take action. Action trumps everything. Are you going to make mistakes? Yes, you're going to make yeah. mistakes. Are you going to fail? Yes, you're going to fail. But along the way, it's better than not doing anything. So you can't just, you know, you know, uh, you know, paralyze, you know, you know, you know, paralyze yourself by analyzing too much. Yeah, yeah, because it's kind of like what we said earlier today. Um, overcommit and figure out the rest later. Love it. And that's exactly what I did with this podcast. Yeah. I said, hey, I'm going to reach out to Sam. Usually, uh, I'm a one man team. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm a one man team, Sam. But 
I overcommitted and I got my boy Dre and Justin to come help me out because they said, hey, I'm going to be I'm going to be legit when I go see someone like Sam. Yeah. So I overcommitted and then I figured out the rest later. And that, that's what I'm all about, Sam, is being just upfront with people, being straight, being real, sharing failures that people don't like to share. That's what people want to see, though. I mean, you know, you know, in life, nobody goes through life undefeated. Yeah. Oh, I mean, sure. I mean, people are like, well, you know, um, you know, Floyd Mayweather went undefeated in boxing. No, no, Floyd Mayweather got his ass kicked a million times yeah. before he became Floyd Mayweather, the, the, the boxer. Yeah. You know what I mean? Guaranteed. So, you know, he guarantee. You, you know, his dad whooped his ass when he was coming up. I'm sure, like, you know, box, box, you know, boxing up. So nobody goes through life undefeated. You, you know, you just, you just build resilience and go through life and get better at it. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing this. I got a, just a, a, some quick closing questions. Sure. Um, one, one question that I love to ask is if you could go back to any age, right? You can't change anything that happened. You can't change any of the failures that happened. Um, you'll still be where you're at now. But if you go back to any age and give yourself one tip, what would it be? Yeah, definitely the, the, the best tip I can give any, my younger self. Yeah, younger self, any is, age. Is to surround yourself with people that who you aspire to be like. Mm. You know, you know, when I first, you know, um, you know, when I went to Sharon, I was in the hood, so I was of course surrounded by I mean literally I'm not even gonna joke, you know, is I was surrounded by drug dealers, pimps, hoes and prostitutes. Mm. You know, that that was my surrounding in the in the area, you know, crack the, you know, there's people dealing crack and cocaine and you know, you know, people smoking drugs everywhere, you know, and um, so when I got you know, when I was I was I was out there as a teenage, you know, as a teenager, I was like riding around drinking 40s of 45 and, you know, oh, small man. liquor back in the day. Oh, yeah. And, you know. Mad Dog 2020. Yeah, great, great. <laughs> oh, my you know gosh. I mean? That's you know disgusting. I mean? <laughs> you know? Yeah, I was, you know, you know, riding around drinking, you know, acting stupid. You know, like you said, you got arrested a couple of times, you know, one time. Yeah. I've got arrested a few times. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, you know, you know, um, and, um, you know, things that came back and haunted me in my life, you know. So, if... I could have just surrounded myself with, I see like kids right now, they're going to like Tony Robbins seminars and they're like, they're going in masterminds and yeah. I'm like, oh my God, if I was, if I did that at that age, I would have been a billionaire, not a millionaire. Yeah. You know what I mean? So when I look at them, I'm like, oh my God, you're like 18 years old, 17 years old. You had this mastermind, you were at this event. I'm like, I didn't even know what that was. I was like 30. Wow. You know? And, um, so that's that's what I would say. Awesome, awesome. And and what I was telling even these guys on the way over here, I was letting them know. I was like, hey, um, I don't know, but I really feel like God told me to ask you to come here. And I don't know what's going to come out of this, but I really generally want to surround myself with amazing people like you. Yeah. So whatever we go from here, I'm just super excited and thankful that you have me here. Um, no, it's an honor, man. It's an honor, and, you know. And and seeing these guys, man. Young kids, hungry, and I see them like a sponge, like looking at everything. Yeah, you see them writing notes. Man, they're, um, you know, gosh, man, you guys are going to, you guys have greatness in you. If this is for you to lose, this life is for you to lose. Mm. You know, everything, you you are in, in, you know, you're surrounded by greatness. You guys are already going to church, so you have your faith in there. You guys look like you're from, from great families and things like that. If I came from this kind of, you know, like I said, I didn't get into personal development until I was like 30. Yeah. You know what I mean? You know, I didn't, you know, you know, I didn't yeah. get my first mentor until I was 30. Yeah, same here. I was about 23, so a little bit. I'm 26 now, going to be yeah. 27. So I'm, I'm, I'm still, you know, in the ba a baby stage of, of learning where these guys are 18 years old. Yeah. 
you know, you guys are you guys are all going to be, you know, at the top of the food chain. It's all said and done. All you know, you are what you surround yourself with. Bottom yeah. line. Bottom line. Definitely. You know, I thought you know you think this you know. You know, here's the thing. Like, I went to Ed Milet's house. Okay. Right? So I was at Ed Milet's house in, in Idaho, man. Like, you know, so, you know, I'm kind of like, okay, you know, I bought my first mansion here. You know, you know, I feel like, oh, this is pretty cool, this and that. Till I pulled up to his mansion. In the lake? Yes. Oh, my gosh. Like, this house, this house is like, you know, one wing of his house. Oh, you know my I mean? gosh. And I'm going, I'm going, I'm going like, what? You know, I'm like, oh, maybe I need to go back to the drawing board. Yeah. Not that it's material things. It's in life, it's all about achievement. You know, after material stuff, you know, you know, it's not, you know, I don't care about that. What makes me happy is to set a goal and achieve it. Mm. That's what, that's what happiness brought you. And it's not, you know, if you see the cars and things like that, because I'm not a materialistic guy or like that. So, you know, for me, ever since I was a little kid, I like three things. I was infatuated with three things. One of them was cars, working out in sports and girls. Mm. Thank God, thank God girls cost too much money. I had to narrow that down to just one. Awesome. You know I, mean? <laughs> I couldn't afford, you know, to keep dating girls, you know what I mean? That's so, awesome. um, so, you know, that's, that's what it is. It's not about anything. Every single car that I have, for example, was something that as a kid I dreamed about. Mm. You know, I dreamed about, oh my God, I would love to have this. And I would love to have that. You know, you know, it's not about anything. So life is all about living it on your terms and what makes you happy. Yeah, because you could be a school teacher and you're wealthy because you're doing what you love. Absolutely. Yeah, that's awesome. And then uh, another one, uh, what's one weakness that, that you have? What is one weakness that I have? Yeah, maybe it could be like a over, you know, it could be a strength that, that you focus a lot on, maybe a weakness. I have a lot of weaknesses, man. I mean, like, you know, I'm, a, a, you know, I'm full of faults. You know, I can go on and on about my faults, man. I mean, I'll I tell you right now, um, you know, that, that I could be selfish at times, mm. you know, because, be, you know, being a, a single child, you know, being a bodybuilder, I'm kind of set in my ways. I want, I want things the way it goes my way. And sometimes when it doesn't go on my way, I start tripping, mm. you know, and that's, you know, that's, you know, that's one of my faults that I've, you know, that I've somewhat overcome, but it still comes back sometimes and bites me. Um, you know, you know, other faults. Yeah, I have a lot of faults, man. I mean, yeah. That's a tough question, huh? Yeah, you know, I mean, yeah. like, I mean, like, you know, people, you know, look at, you know, sometimes go, oh, oh man, he seems to be perfect. No, 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 I'm far from perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you, you, maybe you need to ask my wife that question. So she'll sit down here, that'd be a whole different interview. You might need to change backwards. Oh, uh, no, we're going to go another hour. Oh, yeah. That's awesome. And then last thing, um, where can, where can people reach you? And I, and I know you get this question all the time, you know, what's the secret? Right to to being in the shape that you're in. Yeah. So, what what would you say the secret is? And also, where can people reach you and find your find your information, your books? Well, you know, I love working out. Mm. You know, and and that's that's my drug. Got it. You know, that's my drug. I mean, I you know, for me, working out, getting up in the morning, first thing in the morning, working out, I feel good. I can take on the day. And if I don't work out. Is like a, a drug addict that didn't take his drug. Seven days a week. Seven days a week. So see, I don't work out for physical anymore. Obviously, we all want to look good and all that kind of stuff, you know. And um, but but for me, if I don't work out, I'm not mentally sharp. Mm. You know what I mean? Because now you know that's an addiction. Yeah. You know, it's a good addiction, but it's an addiction. So let me give you an example. You know, Sunday night. You know, I was working all all weekend because I was at the fitness expo in San Diego. I seen that. And, you know, my mother-in-law got Rod Stewart tickets, you wow. know, for Sunday night. You know, so I go to see Rod Stewart here at Citizen Business Arena. 
And I usually go to bed early Sunday night, but Sunday night I went to bed like 12.30 at night. So obviously I could, I didn't, you know, my wife was like, you better not get up at three. I would have, but she was like, you better not. That's mm. not I'm not going to let you get up at three o'clock, go to work out. I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm going to sleep in. I was sleeping, I had to go to the office. Bottom line, Monday I didn't work out. And Monday, all day I was off. Mm. All day, my rhythm it. was off. You know, my sharpness was off. I was not the same person. And I was like, I can't wait till Tuesday. I can start the day off correctly yeah. and be able to get on it. And the same thing, you know, you know, getting in shape, you know, staying in shape is just fall in love with working out, fall in love with movement and be aware of, you know, what you put in your mouth. You, know, you don't, you know, I'm not some broccoli eating cyborg. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? You know, you know, I love, you know, I just, I just had to get Foster Flakes. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, you know, I like peanut butter. Oof. You know what I mean? You know, but uh, as long as you are aware of what you put in your mouth and make better decisions, you know, overall in the long run, you know, you'll be fine. Okay. Awesome. And then where can, where can people find you? You know, at Sam Bakhtiar on Instagram, you know, um, that's the best way to find me. That's the best way to get yeah, to you. Yeah. And then also, uh, you, how long would you come out with this book, the Becoming a One Percenter? This book came out about eight months ago. Okay. You know, eight months ago and is, is on OnePercentNutrition.com or at Amazon. Amazon. That's where I got my copy, guys. So yeah. go on Amazon. Guys, do me a favor. Share this with somebody. Go and get Sam's book. Uh, he, he's out here doing so many amazing things. He really wants to help people out. Sam, again, thank you so much. Of course. It's my honor. Yeah. You have anything else to say or we're good here? I know hey you guys, dropped you know, so many knowledge. Hey, guys. You know, for those of you guys who are listening to this, if someone like me, you know, coming up, you know, like I said, 11 years old, $500 on the luggage, it's a refuse of war, you know, coming here, failing many times, getting made fun of, could never be a bodybuilder, yada, yada, yada. Don't listen to all that. You know, go out there, make it happen. You live in the best country in the world. You can't make it here in the U.S. That I don't know where you're going to make it. God bless you all. Thank you for tuning in and thank you for having me. Thank you so much, Sam. And again, if nobody loves you, Jesus loves you. Absolutely. Awesome.